good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. You're obsessed with her, and you're obsessed with her daughter! All right, easy, Geraldo. And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking camp parody, we're talking dead John Doe's, and we're talking a lot of, oh no, not them cameos. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace, and we're talking no one. Absolutely no one. Lisa Zane. Freddy's dead. (laughs) (laughs) The way this movie ends. (laughs) It's iconic and uh, it's self-referential. Um, yeah, yeah, that is something. Everyone, we are discussing the 1991 classic Freddy's dead. The final nightmare. Mm hmm. Spoiler alert. Not the final nightmare. Is not well. It is the final nightmare. Well, no, actually, no. I was, no. I was say in that continuity, <laughs> but like it isn't because I guess Freddy no. versus Jason is in that continuity. Uh, yes, presumably. I, oh god, I, this is. It's like how many forks and branches can we do when it comes to the the big named horror franchises, right? I don't know, but you know, I'm really excited to talk about this movie because this is a movie that um I didn't see much as a kid, but I saw the trailer because I think it was on my VHS for Critters that I rented from Blockbuster, like weekly um so i saw this trailer a lot and the trailer made this movie out to be a very scary movie and obviously as we all know it is not that but this is also your first time seeing it it was the first time i saw it yeah i had actually not seen four five or six of these until the pandemic and then i've been slowly catching up in anticipation of this very episode which uh trace isn't it weird that we've covered three nightmare on elm street movies and arguably not popular ones right because we've done two the remake and now this right Mm -hmm. and oh and also if you want to hear our thoughts on some of freddy versus jason please check out our guest appearance on kill by kill yeah yeah (laughs) but okay so we have two thoughts on this movie two thoughts just two just two (laughs) but we have someone on here who is a big fan so let's bring him in all right joe Mm -hmm. all right everyone he is a writer and a podcaster with a passion for horror and lgbtq plus issues uh you can read his work on his blog midnight social distortion and hear his voice and thoughts on his podcast of the same name please welcome marco estes hello hello how y'all doing this evening (laughs) (laughs) good how are you mark I'm great. I'm so glad to be here. It's like, it's just been a big dream to finally see what you guys can talk about. All things horror. (laughs) Wait, is it a dream or is it a nightmare? I'll see myself out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, nah, it's a dream. I mean, Freddie, if he shows up, it might be a nightmare, but it's a dream. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think some people would say this movie is a nightmare. Oh! Wow. No, no, no. I understand. All kidding aside, aside, though, Mark, no, we wanted you on this because you love this movie. Can you tell us about your connection with this movie when you first saw it or why you love it so much? Well, this was the first movie I actually sat, the first Freddy movie that I actually sat through without having uh, my hands over my eyes. And it was like (laughs) the first movie, the first Freddy movie where 
I really got in deep into the franchise because hmm. Freddy Krueger was my first introduction into horror. My parents mm-hmm. were trying to bed train me in 1985, I want to say, you know, for my own, you know, to get me in my own room. And mom made the mistake of putting <laughs> me in my bed with no lights on and going in the living room and watching A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, no. Instead of her, like, you know, keeping quiet or anything like that, my mom has a very funny sense of humor when it comes to horror. Like, when people start transforming to stuff, like, when everybody's, like, sitting there, like, oh, my God, I can't believe... She's laughing hysterically as if she's watching a comedy. <laughs> and so, I thought that, you know, at the age, you love to hear your mom's laughter. So, I get out of bed, go uh, into the living go. room, and mm-hmm. I see the screen on... And it's the scene where Freddy's coming after Tina in the alleyway with his arms outstretched. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. at the very moment that he says, this is God, and Tina runs, I ran to screaming like bloody murder and so anytime <laughs> freddie came across the tv whether it was on uh, a movie or even a commercial or something like that a music video i ran screaming and it wasn't until freddie's dead came out that i was like he's not that scary which is right. ironic because this movie is nowhere near scary so right. it's just the fact that it was my way my gateway into horror in general Mm-hmm. Wow. So that's my connection to it. I love that your love of this film is based in the fact that it is not scary. Like, <laughs> that is great. I, I mean, it was just, I started with Freddy's Dead because they constantly played it on the movie channel or Showtime mm-hmm. late at night, of course. And then I started getting more interested in the mythology of Freddy Krueger and the whole thing about nightmares and dreams. And so Mm -hmm. I was like, let me go do my research. And so I went and rented the first few movies and stuff and started from there. And then I actually went and bought them because I was renting them too much and my parents didn't like that. And so, like, in third grade, everybody was writing, like, short stories about princesses and unicorns and and all these heroes. And the teacher comes to my desk, and I'm literally writing 1428 Elm Street House with Freddy (laughs) Krueger just sitting there. She's like, um. (laughs) And then, so my parents were like, what's going on? I'm like, well... I mean, I didn't tell him right that time, but at the moment, I was like, I guess I'm a Fredhead. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's a lifelong thing. So that's why I like the movie. But, you know, when you grow older and you start reading a lot about horror and you start looking at all the other films and then you constantly watch them over and over again. And yeah, I still love the movie, but yeah. It's just so different from the other ones, right? right? Like, it's actually not surprising that this becomes your gateway because this is a softer, I don't want to say gentler side of Freddy, but like the comedy really balances out any attempts at horror. So this is a nice kind of soft introduction to him because it defangs him a little bit. Right. Yeah, and before we really go into the general, like, broad strokes of the direction this film took, Joe, I'm I'm actually very intrigued because I feel like this is a Hellraiser bloodline situation for you where you're like, I mm. just admire that they did this. <laughs> <laughs> so what did, what did you think of this movie, Joe? Admittedly, it is a little bit of that. I think I recognize the audacity of bloodline a little bit more than this. This feels... Like, hey, this thing is coming to an end, so let's do a hard right and just have a little bit more fun with it. And I can appreciate that, but 
I don't love some of the wacky over the topness of it. I think that the franchise had been moving in that direction for a little bit, like particularly when you think about the way that the one liners get handled in some of the later entries. I don't know that I love the choices they're making, but yeah, they're bold and brazen and weird. Like this movie is very weird. And I did appreciate that. Like, In some ways, I kind of preferred it to five, which has way better kills and way better special effects, but is also super fucking boring a lot of the time. (laughs) You know, it's weird. I mean, we'll talk about this when I go through the production, but like, you know, obviously there was a lot of influence of Twin Peaks in this film. Right. Most of the crew were holdovers from the same crew on John Waters' Crybaby. So bizarre. Really bizarre. To the point where, I mean, you know, like there's that bit of trivia that was like, oh, the, the woman in the plane that calls uh, John Doe a pussy, that was meant to be divine. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But here's here's the thing, though. I, I don't really know if I buy that. Like, I, I, I Because here's the thing. This movie came out in September of 91. The fifth one came out in August of 89, but Divine died in March of 88. So I'm like, how? Oh. Like, that, that doesn't that doesn't track for me, the timeline. But. That being said, I can see, like, even though John Waters wasn't involved with this film, if you, if people that worked with him, and Rachel Talalay, the director, worked on Crybaby because she produced it. Right. I can see it. I think my issue is, and that, well, there's two issues. One, <laughs> I don't mind taking a franchise in this direction. I was watching this and I was like, you know, this is really like the seed of Chucky of this franchise, right? right? right. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's the weird one out. Which is fine. And I've come around on Seed of Chucky and plugged with her for an episode on Seed of Chucky with Chris Egertson. But I think the issue really stems from that it's the final entry. Like, I'm like, mm. you know what? If this is a middle entry in the franchise, and like, hey, we're going to take the franchise in a new direction. Okay. Like, I think this, that would make this movie an easier pill to swallow. Right. But. Mm-hmm. Because it's the final entry, and they tout it, and they market it like a very scary film. Again, if you haven't seen that trailer, like go look at it. I mean, you still have the Freddy Zingers. It even shows the Wicked Witch bit, which I love. Mm-hmm. But it still is tonally very scary, which this movie really isn't. Right. But my second issue is I also don't really think they lean hard enough into the wackiness. Like, yes, we get Looney Tune bits, like when he pushes the rope, the thing of spikes out into the road. Yes. We get him <laughs> kind of fucking the chalkboard as he scratches it, you know. I almost wish it went like full on like the mask, 1994. Like, I wish right. it had done that and really committed to it. Because at least then I'm like, okay, well, like, are they clear? And they did all this intentionally. I mean, Robert England's quote is. They wanted to deconstruct and self-destruct the franchise because it was the last hurrah. And they were like, fuck it. We can do whatever we want. So it's intentional. I just think it also feels kind of watered down. Right. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because as you were talking about, oh, this is the final entry. We want to do something a little bit different. I was reminded of the other final entry where we're (laughs) going to kill off our horror antagonist slash protagonist. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I'm thinking back to our discussion with Friday the 13th, mm-hmm. you know, where mm-hmm. Jason goes to hell. And it feels like it almost learned a lesson from this film. Like, if you're mm-hmm. going to go meta, if you're going to go weird, do it harder. Have weird homoerotic shaving. Have yes. throat slugs. Like, really go for it. I mean, that film isn't any more beloved than this film. So maybe <laughs> we're learning the wrong lessons, but they're an interesting pair to contrast in that regard. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned it because I was thinking the same thing the other night. I was like, Jason goes to hell, Freddy's dead, and even Halloween, Curse of Michael Resurrection. Mars. 
Oh, <laughs> it could be so many. Oh, of Curse of Michael Myers. <laughs> yeah, because Curse of Michael Myers, it wasn't goofy, but some of the, you know, stuff was kind it's of like, weird choices. Right. And so I was like, this is the final time I've learned the secret of what's going mm-hmm. on and all this stuff. And I was like, well, it's all about execution because I always tell people and I'm yeah. actually reading a part. I, I just wrote a piece for somebody recently about this. I said, I believe all movies have plots. It all come down to execution. If you mm-hmm. can, you can tell me your plot of the movie. It might sound great, but when you get the actual um, finished product, it's like, uh-uh, not, that, that was a bad choice. That was a choice. <laughs> <laughs> it was a choice, but not the right one. <laughs> and I'm even low to be like, well, they weren't thinking of the fans because I feel like honestly, like, I, I know the studios think about the fans, but it's like there's such an entitlement that like fan bases have, that fandoms have, that I'm like, eh, I don't really like using mm. that kind of language, but like. I mean, they set out to make what what they described as a Warner Brothers cartoon, and they did that. But it just like again, it wasn't cartoony enough. But I love you comparing it to those films because look, 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 what was meant to be like the final franchise entry. So we have this, we have Jason Goes to Hell, Seed of Chucky was the last theatrically released Child's Play film. Right. You can look at how dumb again Halloween Resurrection is. Hellraiser Bloodline was the last Hellraiser release in theaters. Like, yeah. It really reeks of though, like oh, fuck. Like let's just do something to get rid of this. Like we got to get rid of this. Let's just do something fucking wild. And on that note, I mean, I think it, that's cool. I just think though that honestly, for fans, that's not what you want to do in a final entry exactly. because if you leave the franchise on a note like that, that is a complete and total departure from everything that came. Um, and again, in Freddy's Dead, maybe not a complete and total departure as y'all have said, but mm-hmm. it is noticeably different. I honestly think this was a rebound from the fifth one because, and Joe, you having just seen it, was the fifth one noticeably grim? It is pretty grim. It's also quite dark, like just in terms of its visual aesthetics. Mm -hmm. Like it definitely feels like they spent all of their time on a couple of really standout set pieces. But the rest of the time they were like, how can we just kill a bunch of kids? Like, let's not make them characters. Let's not do anything interesting with the mythology. But yeah, that that movie at times almost reminded me of like a French film. It, it reminded me of the director Jean-Pierre Jeannette who would go on to do like Alien Resurrection, like some of his mm. early films. I was like, there is a gross wetness to this movie that I am not entirely loving. And it kind of loses the fun factor that three and four Oh, there's had, no right? fun. No. Like yeah. four is a really good balance of fun and practical effects and like weird shit happening. And five just kind of feels like, eh. And then six is like, well... Five didn't work, so what else are we going to do? And I I do think that that's where I would come back to you, Trace. I know that when they're making these final entries and they kind of say, well, let's do something different because it's our last kick at the can. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they're always thinking this is the true end. I think they're often looking in the mirror, or sorry, looking in the rearview mirror and saying that last entry didn't do well. So clearly something about the fan base isn't connecting. Let's try something radically different and maybe we'll pick up new fans. And then it ends up being the last entry or the last theatrical entry. Yeah. And it's funny that, you know, you you both mentioned that, especially when Trace, you said Freddy's Dead was a rebound from Mm -hmm. the dream child. And I feel like the dream child itself was a rebound from the dream master because our, you know, if you start at Dream Warriors, which everybody considers as the best sequel in the franchise, and some people even say it's one of the greatest sequels in horror history, mm-hmm. but you go from that, which was 
Freddy was still scary as hell in that movie because that was the oh, movie yeah. that I was like literally having my hands over my eyes. Like I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. But <laughs> they was like, you know, I think they finally brought him into the spotlight with the dream master, you know, Robert mm-hmm. Ingalls has been quoted as saying he got that this was the MTV version of Nightmare. And so mm. because at that point in time, it was the highest grossing movie of all yep. this of all. And then I think that some of the hardcore fans, because I guess it's kind of like with what was it? I want to say Paranormal Activity, maybe because, you know, when it first Ugh. came out. It was our thing, but once like horror goes mainstream with some of these franchises, mm-hmm. it kind of like deludes it a little bit. And so I guess the fans were like, "Oh, everybody likes Freddy now," and so they just went with the whole concept of the dream child. No, I was saying you want to talk bad final entries. Fucking Paranormal Activity has a really bad final entry. Oh my <laughs> well, god! Sorry. No, that was not ooh. final anymore. But it, it was, was final. <laughs> I was. I felt. I felt attacked when I watched that movie. I was so upset. Oh. <laughs> I, I reviewed that one for bloody and gave it a one and a half out of five and said this movie is an insult to fans of the franchise right like, oh, wow and when it comes to freddy's dad it is specifically just because of some of these plot it's not even the tone i can forgive the tone mm-hmm. but there are so many plot developments or just like lazy screenwriting like i don't know, like shortcuts that it's not even mm. rule breaking it just doesn't make any sense or it's like no no come on because this is a franchise that has never made sense like every no, no, no. iteration rebuilds itself and develops new rules and i i don't agree with the statement that this is like lazy screenwriting because i actually found a really interesting piece that references how faithfully they're trying to pay homage to the other entries in the franchise like basically bar the second film this movie is taking sequences and moments from all of the other entries in the franchise like that's smart screenwriting it's not even well see it's not that i mean okay (laughs) i think i've said this on the podcast before or maybe it was on patreon but like okay in first grade I wrote an, a story, a two-page story. <laughs> I made it a horror story, and I was like, oh, me and my friends are going to this ghost town. And it was, like, me and my three actual, like, first-grade friends. And in the last, like, bit, I was like, oh, but also, like, one of my friends is actually, like, an evil ghost who was betraying us. Also, the only way to kill him is for the descendant of the people to read from this particular spellbook on this thing. And I made myself that person because, of course, I'm like, well, I'm going to be the star of my own story. <laughs> but before that, it was just things that I brought in because like, I was like, oh, like, I want to make this exciting and kind of fun. But there was no reason for any of it. And I feel like that's kind of what happens with some of this film. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Tricky. We'll talk about it in the plot. Yeah, because I, I do feel like some of the things that people criticize, you know, we've touched on. It's the tone. It's the fact that it's, quote unquote, not scary, which, folks, let's let that argument die. That yeah. is not a reason to not like a horror film. Thank you. <laughs> but I think at the at the end of the day, too. Some of the daughter stuff, like the the interest in children in these last quote unquote two entries in Dream Child and then this, it's like, oh, this smacks of we're getting long in the tooth. How do we keep this interesting? Let's bring in a new cousin that nobody talked about. Yeah. Like, let's bring in Smoochie. This is pretty <laughs> Smoochie. I mean, it's like, like, like when Yafet Kato was just like, oh yeah, these are the dream demons. I'm like, well, I guess that's going to come back later, but also, okay, movie. Right. But also, how great is it that there's like talking spectral worm things in this movie? Right. No, I, again, that's where I'm split on. I'm like, oh, that's a really cool idea, but I'm like, I just feel like it's lazily what? introduced to be like, oh, he just happens to have a picture of this thing because he just right. happens to be really into dreams, and he yeah. happens to work with uh freddie's daughter like it's it's just those things and i'm like oh come on movie like this is dumb (laughs) 
maybe just a few too many yeah i I will agree with y'all it's like some of the conveniences is just you know you kind of can't help but to roll your eyes but me as a kid i was like just give it to me but as an adult and just me looking back at it's like that is kind of convenient that not only do you send john doe through the i guess what they call it the wall the wall (laughs) yeah the the state the the, the, um city line of uh springwood and he lands like at the first homeless shelter or the youth center that has his daughter that has his daughter working there and i was like okay cool but you know back then i was like oh it's fine but you know the more you look at it's like "Eh." that doesn't work yeah Yeah, i try to find ways to um defend it but i mean sometimes you just gotta throw your hands up at some stuff and be just like look it's canon just go with it for right. sure and so that again because I, I joe i heard you getting on the defensive and it, i can quibble about the rules like fucking spence walking up invisible stairs because he's walking upstairs or whatever the fuck like right. whatever i can buy into that okay. but yeah, it's just stuff like that or you know oh um oh i had to go into your brain daughter like that's how i escape okay whatever like <laughs> so stupid <laughs> so it, it, that to me does feel like shortcuts to, right. to to get from point a to point c we're completely skipping point b Right. Yeah. yeah. I I do think what you just said, Mark, is actually really valid, if only because I've encountered it a lot on my other podcast when I'm talking about YA adaptations, because we've covered so many iconic texts that, you know, you have really fond memories of as a oh, child. You're oh. looking through these rose tinted nostalgic glasses mm-hmm. and then you go back and watch them as an adult and you think, well, this doesn't make a fucking lick of sense. Like, right. what the shit was I thinking? But I do think it's important to remember, like, we're approaching this as very critical adults. This movie was hypothetically aimed and marketed for most likely teenage boys. Right. And they probably were not overthinking it. They were probably saying, cool, talking worm things, awesome. (laughs) Right. I mean. 3D. Yeah. Oh my God, the 3D. I died. I died. No one told me. (laughs) I had no warning. (laughs) No. Oh, man. Glasses. (laughs) I got the I got the original set, the DVD mm-hmm. set, and it came Me with too. the 3D glasses. And I was oh, like, amazing. I cannot wait to watch this in 3D. And so when I sat down and finally watched it in 3D, I was like, This sucks. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, I really want to have. I guess it was one of those things where you just had to have been in a theater to see yes. this is really in 3D. But no, based on the reviews at the time, the 3D did not help matters. <laughs> Also, because because people didn't know when to put the glasses on. on. They had to like have people come into the theater and be like, hey, y'all, when Maggie puts her glasses on, that's when you're supposed to put your glasses on. And it takes you out the movie. That mm-hmm. is the funniest thing I've ever heard, because they do the exact same fucking thing in Ghoulies. Really? Where, like, there's literally a character who's like, I'm going to put on these magical glasses. And then there's a pause while everyone in the theater is also meant to put on their magical glasses. Uh, I did not know. I oh, my God. It. I love it. Uh, okay, okay. Okay. Let me go through. So surprising. I actually thought there was going to be a lot more dense production about this movie. There actually isn't. And I just wonder if it's because no one cares. <laughs> so rude. The only female director of this fucking franchise and nobody cares about this movie. Uh, I guess for her, she probably really did. Because, you know, Rachel Talalay was like on every mm-hmm. Elm Street movie. She started out as the production assistant and worked her way on mm. up. And she got that last movie as, you know, I guess a... Uh, farewell like well you know we should give you a shot i guess this was her movie to you know test her waters in or something like that as a director but i mean she wrote the story and i noticed that michael deluca wrote the screenplay and i was like okay 
was she did she have this idea this whole entire time of having like freddie as a having a child or something like that or hmm. you know with certain stuff that you have to look at that's why i like um looking at interviews and stuff with them and just trying to get like where was your mind at when you came up with this you know not in a derogatory manner but just like no where was your mind at like did you have this idea all along and they were like we're not gonna look at it right now and they just so happen it's like okay this is the last one now let's listen to what you have to say because we're all out of ideas and <sighs> the men are done talking let's right. let the woman into the room right right well uh, okay okay Let's go through this a bit, because there is a kind of a timeline here, and, like, I, it was kind of a, oh, like, yeah, we, we, Rachel, you've been involved with these, this, this franchise for a long time, here you go, you, you can send them off, but it does kind of feel like a, eh, yeah, sure, go ahead. Nobody like, cares whatever. anymore, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So, the previous five installments of this franchise, obviously, like, we all know, like, it, it made New Line the house that Freddy built, exactly. because they made so much money. And everyone's like, oh, well, Bob just thought it was time to move on. You know, they had other products they wanted to focus on. They were focused on Critters and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I'm just like, uh, no, the issue was that Dream Child grossed less than half of what Dream Master did. And that's probably, they were like, oh, shit, the writing's on the wall there. Yeah. Yeah, tell the truth, because a lot of people don't connect the dots like that when it comes to the real reason why they got rid of it. It's like, well, yeah, we, we thought it was time to let them go. And I'm like... They could probably could have got a couple more sequels, but I'm thinking that that was the mentality of all of the franchises at the time going into the 90s. It's kind of like mm-hmm. the stuff that mm-hmm. made the 80s the 80s. Everybody was like, just like, okay, we're over there now. Let's just get over it. I can, I can even go back to something like Dynasty. It was like, okay, it's 89. <laughs> the calendar year moves forward. Eh, we're not as interested. Also, it's not making us money, so right. we're done. And even tying back into, okay, cool, like, the last movie wasn't a success, so let's do something different for this one. I also even think that it was kind of a reverse effect for Dream Child, where it was like, hey, like, Dream Master is, like, the highest grossing film in this franchise. Let's do something just kind of different and weird with Dream Child, which is what they did unsuccessfully Mm -hmm. by box office and critic standards. But, like, I I think it was a similar situation, just flipped. Like, oh, this was really successful. Let's do something different. And now it was, oh, this different thing was not successful. Let's do something even differenter. Right. They boxed themselves to a corner is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. So they're going to make the sixth entry the final film in the franchise. Final, quote unquote. Talalay, again, had produced most of the previous installments. Uh, she was wanted to do the last film. Um, she had a lot of ideas. Like, she came up with the idea to not call it Nightmare Part 6. She was like, let's call it Freddy's Dead. And I, I feel like that was a thing where they were like, oh, my God, that's a good idea. You should direct that movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> you came up with the title. We love it. Let's <laughs> just sh- shoot it. It was her idea to incorporate more humor of the film. Again, like this is the era of Twin Peaks. She was really into Twin mm. Peaks, so she was like, "Let's make it like that." I mean, it doesn't even Brecken Meyer say we're in Twin Peaks here in this movie. He does. Yes. yes. Yeah. Ugh. So yeah, <laughs> in the original script, it is a fifteen-year-old Jacob Johnson, the son of Alice from Four and Five is a major character, and many of the Dream Warriors from 3 return to uh, to aid Jacob in defeating Freddy after he kills Alice. So we were kind of redoing 4, where we killed the final girl at the very beginning, mm-hmm. but then instead of bringing in new characters, we bring back, like, old characters that are dead, I guess. <laughs> right. I would have been okay with it, though. I would have, too. It would have closed the franchise out with bringing all the elements of the previous entries into the final movie. And Mm. it would have made sense. It was just like, okay, you guys went first. You jumped 10 years after Alice or and Jacob and maybe even Yvonne left town and uh, everything went to hell. Everything went to shit. Mm -hmm. 
on paper, it sounds okay. It sounds different. I just think mm-hmm. that looking back at it, it's kind of like one of those annoying dangling threads. Because I tell everybody, I want to know, know what happened to Alice and Jacob. I feel like she deserves to have some type of closure. And I right. think if you had made John Doe in this movie, that that son, it might have been kind of interesting. At least it gives you that thread. But they eventually dropped that screenplay when they realized they couldn't get Lisa Wilcox back or she wouldn't come back. I'm not really sure which which option it was. Right. Wow. So Peter Jackson, the the Peter Jackson, again, this is, I know everyone knows this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, Peter Jackson also wrote a screenplay called The Dream Lover that was not used. It was honestly kind of like Freddy versus Jason a bit, but instead of like everyone forgetting about Freddy, teenagers just didn't see him as a threat. So they would take sleeping pills to go into Freddy's world and beat the shit out of him. And then like it also included a police officer who put himself into a coma to permanently be in Freddy's state, which eventually like gave him the strength to like start scaring kids because ki- it's like oh look, eventually freddy just kills one of the kids and that brings the fear back into the the community right mm-hmm. this didn't go through but um good for peter jackson because it introduced him to new line and um paved the road for lord of the rings right right i suppose it worked out for him just a bit <laughs> <laughs> this okay so this is something i did not know um unlike its predecessor there was very little editing of violent sequences as mandated by the mpaa this was on the Never Sleep Again documentary, but during Carlos's death scene with the exploding head, mm-hmm. the exact phrase said is, they were not allowed to have blood in that scene. Wow. And I don't know why that is, because they don't elaborate on it. But I wonder if they were just like, we've had too many issues cutting these films down with the MPA. Can you just make it tame so we don't have to worry about it? Right. Entirely possible. I mean... After so many installments, they probably would have just been like up to their heads with like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, I'm just so tired of having to resubmit these films. They would have seen it happening with the other franchises as well. So maybe they just preemptively said, okay, let's just not do the battle thing. Make it tamer. Right. Because if it's the last movie, you don't want to keep throwing all this money on it on reshoots and whatnot. It's just like, look, we have other stuff in the pipeline. We want to conserve money and just let's avoid a headache. Right. No. Yeah. But all of that being said, and again, something I didn't know, apparently there were 47 more minutes in the on this movie. Ooh, yes. I could not when I saw that. I just thought, no, that no. <laughs> I, I, I didn't pull a list of the sequences, although you can find them online. And apparently the work print is available online. I didn't go look for it because I'm just like, oh, I don't want to deal with that. Um, <laughs> but I'm surprised we haven't gotten that like on a release yet. On BET... When they would air Freddy's Dead, they would incorporate some of those scenes in oh, really? the actual airing. Yes, because the whole thing about Maggie wanting to know her original parent um, parentage, mm-hmm. um, that's included in the storyline on the BET cut because that's mm-hmm. how I first came across it. I'm like, I've never seen this before. And so she talks to her mom and you kind of find out that she's adopted and so it's like that's where she gets this recurring dream from she's thinking like Mm -hmm. maybe this is trying to tell me something about where i come from Mm -hmm. and then they also have other like scenes that are extended i think the whole thing with john doe and the uh, youth center and him going upstairs into the white room that's extended and it's a lot of other extra stuff that's extended but yeah. Well, the the other thing, I mean, yeah, that that's the work print. But yeah, so the reason I think, though, that like some of the TV edits would have those scenes is because another factoid that I found, and again, I don't know if this is true because I didn't see this in theaters, but apparently the theatrical cut of this film was like 20 minutes longer and mm. New Line cut out those extra 20 minutes for the VHS release. And 
I don't know if that's accurate. It was one of those IMDb facts. So again, oh, if yeah. listeners, if you saw this in theaters and you know for a fact that like this was longer in theaters, I would really like to know. But and also, mm-hmm. I'm curious as to why at least that version even hasn't made it onto physical media yet. Yeah, it's perplexing because you would think you want to put more stuff in the physical media version instead of cutting it. Just you know. I never understand why they don't just put everything they have onto a physical media release. Like, whenever we find out that there's stuff that they haven't added, I'm like, what are you holding on to that for? <laughs> right! I just wonder if it's because this film was so maligned, not just by critics, but also by fans. Because, again, we discussed this in Hellraiser Bloodline, Joe. Like, the Scarlet Box set of that film, which mm-hmm. Hellraiser 1 through 4 tell one complete story. But for some reason, the Scarlet Box doesn't have the fourth film because yeah. the studio was like, everyone hates it. Why would we put it in the film set? Yeah, like, we're ashamed of it. So even though we've got it, even though we could, we choose not to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that makes sense because... I use I'll always know what you did last summer as a coaster for my jerks. Wow, <laughs> Mark. Wow. I mean, I'm not going to fight you on it, but wow. <laughs> I, I just don't I don't acknowledge it. It's like if people say the third movie. I'm like, what? <laughs> okay, but but, but, but but that makes sense, though, because that is completely unrelated story-wise to the first two films, right? Like, if the third film was a huge piece of shit and also involved Julie James or mentioned Julie James at all, like, I think the only thing they do in that movie is they just say, oh, this is a ghost of a fisherman based on something that happened in North Carolina 10 years ago or something. Like, right. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> But 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 if it involved like something that was actually tied to those first two films, even if it was a huge piece of shit, I would still like no put that in my box set. Like it right. needs to be there. Right. I do wonder too if one of the reasons that we haven't seen some of this is because we are overdue for a kind of deluxe version of Nightmare on Elm Street, right? Like yes. when I was looking for this, so I ended up having to rent this because it turned out to be the only film in the franchise I don't own. Mm-hmm. Just absent-minded, not a deliberate uh, attack on the film Mm -hmm. i realize you know when you look at comparatively the box sets that we've gotten even for lesser franchises like shittier franchises they've all gotten way better physical media releases than this and i'm just like somebody's waiting like we're gonna get a scream factory or we're gonna get some kind of mega deluxe and we're gonna get two disc versions of all of these films with all sorts of bonus shit when the shit hit the fan earlier this year, I don't know if you guys caught wind of it, though, but somebody allegedly leaked, like, poster versions of the Screen Factory release set, and I uh, had a full-on fangirl conniption fit all day. <laughs> and I was like, if this shit is true, y'all will see me on OnlyFans this weekend trying to get money up for this damn thing. I gotta thing. raise money for this motherfucking set. Exactly! <laughs> I'm dick out for Freddy. <laughs> Here's the thing, because I've seen people, I've seen people, um, especially at Scream Factory, you know, where they get their covers busted by, it's that Dawn of the Disc website. Yeah. Yes. That group sucks. They man. get really mad, because they're like, um, like, this this isn't proof, this isn't ready to go, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, whenever the Friday the 13th set came out, like, everyone was like, oh my god, are y'all gonna do Nightmare next? And their response, of course, is no plans yet. But I'm just like, bitch, do you think they're gonna tell you yes if they haven't released a press release saying we're releasing <laughs> this next box set? Like, No! <laughs> We're sending the press release to Twitter because that's the best place to do everything. Like, just shut up and be patient. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, like, let them mock it up and be ready and then give us the deluxe thing that we're looking for. Like, maybe don't support the people who are big into piracy. 
Now, but that being said, though, like, I mean, I, I didn't see that mark, but if I could find it, I would gladly look at it, even though I'm just like, well, that's really shitty. <laughs> well, what they did was, you guys know the, I think it was a Waxwork Records. Mm. They did their oh, special yeah. Freddy set. They had the um, different covers for the albums. Okay. All somebody did was take those. And that's how I kind of knew that it was like uh, a yeah. lie. Because a friend sent it to me. It's like, aren't you excited? And I was like, let me go do my research before I sit here and have a fangirl <laughs> moment. And I did. I couldn't find But I saw Don of the Disc had posted. I'm like, oh, they yeah, might be on to right. something. But then I yeah. started looking at the comments and I saw where Screen Factor themselves was like, yeah, nope. this isn't this isn't true. I was like, shit. They're like, let me put Fake my news. pants back on. I'm canceling the OnlyFans membership. Nope. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, damn it. And I was like, I was gonna twerk a little bit for for, for y'all, but you know, I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> I agree with you 100 that if they do do something that big and they do release something, they gotta come with it because yeah. I'm I'm thirsty for more content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something that's different than the dream. What's the, the the nightmare encyclopedia on the box set? Trace, you said you had that, right? Yes. Okay. No, I was gonna say because because I, I have the Blu-ray set of this, which costs like twelve dollars because it's it's one of those cheap ass Blu-ray sets. <laughs> right. But normally, when I get a Blu-ray of a movie I own on DVD, I will just give away the DVD to someone. I will not yes. get rid of this nightmare Thank you. set. <laughs> no. I had a boy ask me like, "Yo, I'll I'll say hell." to the fuck no <laughs> this damn nightmare encyclopedia disc alone is yeah. worth this mm-hmm. set like you're not getting anything I from mean, this damn set the look of the box like the binding the, the, right. the, the what was it the backbone of all the di- the boxes it makes up freddy it's so cool and, and again freddy's dead comes with the 3d glasses right nice, like nice, it's yeah. not you're not getting this you're not get, i was like not absolutely not no and, and if they do give us a like a screen factory like friday 13 box set like they did last year mm-hmm. i'm still holding on to the um yeah. nightmare encyclopedia because that was epic yeah it was good it was really good i remember buying that in high school and i was like fuck this is neat (laughs) and it's those snap cases like that you always used to do (laughs) i hate a snap case so okay anyway so this movie comes out september 13th 1991 and we are looking at a final runtime of 89 minutes which um okay so apparently this movie was originally two hours and 15 minutes long (laughs) right also quick side note since we're about 40 minutes in happy 30th freddy's dead Oh, oh right. sure <laughs> <laughs> Damn. That's why we programmed it. I forgot. We mm-hmm. always we, we used to be so good about the anniversaries, Joe, and we are not now. Oh yeah, like ninety percent of the episodes that we do are secretly anniversaries. We just don't reference it anymore. Yeah, exactly. It's SEO, everyone. People searching for shit. <laughs> okay. okay. So <laughs> this movie, a budget of $11 million, and it makes $12.9 million opening weekend, opening in the number one spot against no new releases. It was the only new film that weekend. So good for you, Freddy's Dead. <laughs> this was, however, the highest opening weekend of the series up until Freddy vs. Jason 12 right. years later. And at the time, it was the biggest September opening of all time. Wow. $12 million, $13 million almost. <laughs> I mean, September's a rough month, or it was, like August, September, mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially in the 90s. In its second weekend, it made $6.6 million and remained in the top spot before falling to number seven its third weekend. But that being said, it still grossed $35 million um, in the United States and Canada, again, against that $11 million budget. Yeah, so, like, that's a good gross. I'm really surprised yeah. that they didn't immediately greenlight another sequel. You know, yeah, because part five made $22 million, so this made $12 million more than that. So, I mean, I don't know why. I had it in my mind that this movie was a commercial flop, and so I was a bit shocked to find out it wasn't. Hmm. 
and it probably was the whole thing of like everybody saying, "Oh, this is the final one. We got to go and you know, you know, represent right. Freddie mm-hmm. in the theaters." Though, yes. but I'm thinking that whole scene in New Nightmare between Heather and um, Robert um, Shea was like they had the conversation, but it was just more along the lines of how the fuck can we bring him back after we sat here and killed him off? We've killed right. off both Jason and Freddie. But Freddy's our baby, so how are we gonna bring him back? And thank God they went to Wes because <laughs> right. I'm the only thing is like Freddy's deaths in part three and four, and maybe even part five to me are more final than the death the death he has in this movie. Oh, like, an explosion! Right? Please, yeah. you could have easily right. gotten him back from this. I I also imagine like I wonder if Robert Englund was just kind of like guys no i'm i'm really fine thank you but i mean <laughs> honestly watching him on the never sleep again doc like again he he seems to really enjoy this movie i don't know if it was because he was like yeah it was something different uh maybe the makeup which looks worse wasn't Ooh. as like bad maybe it wasn't the as bothersome is to him bad. or something <laughs> this is real bad makeup i mean he says flat out we set out to make a warner brothers cartoon and in that respect i think we succeeded and i was like all right well not wrong there you go um, but unfortunately people didn't think that, uh, reviews for the film were pretty negative with some critics naming it one of the worst films of 1991. We are looking at a 20% on Rotten Tomatoes with an average score of four out of 10 and a letterbox score of 4.4 out of 10. Also the song, Why Was I Born? Freddy's Dead was nominated for a Razzie. Are oh, you serious? Okay. <laughs> That's why I can't find it on Apple um, Music right now. I'm pissed. <laughs> <laughs> I actually listened to it today, but I'm sorry. Well, apparently Lisa Zane com- submitted a Bond-esque ballad called The Worst is Over for the end credits, oh but they were like, god. no, we're going to do this other one instead. Oh my god. Okay, so I don't want to see the work print. I don't want 40 extra minutes of this movie. I need to hear that Lisa Zane ballad. Right? That would have been, like, that would, with the tone of the film, that would have made sense. Can you imagine? <laughs> said it on the never dream uh, never sleep again um documentary did she say that did somebody say that or it wasn't on never sleep again because I, I remember hearing somebody say there's supposed to be a ballad on there and i was like i remember i was like that have been interesting because i'm like she can sing Ooh, you know what there's no footnote on this so i don't have a source for you <laughs> no i was just asking because i knew i've heard this somewhere and i could have sworn i saw it on never sleep again but you never know Listeners, if you have any insight on this amazing factoid, please let us know. Yes, or if you would like to recreate your assumed version of what it sounds like, I would like to hear it. <laughs> I would too. Y'all tag me if they send it to y'all. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, no. Reply to, the, reply to our tweet about this episode. Like, do that. <laughs> mm. uh, all right. But um, that, I mean, that's really it. You know, like, I, I expected there to be more like a tumultuous production history like jason goes to hell or jason x but it, mm-hmm. it wasn't it was pretty like no nah, we're gonna do this and here you go yeah i don't know i think that robert shay to a certain degree like he'd respect the fact that without elm street there would be no new line the, or the new line mm-hmm. that we know now mm-hmm. and i hope i don't step on nobody's toes and like start some shit but um i feel like that's different with like the whole jason franchise because of the stuff that's going on over there it just seems mm-hmm. like you heard more drama behind the scenes and then Crystal Lake memories, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. than you did with the um, Elm Street doc, and I think that the closest thing you had to real drama was on Nightmare Two with the whole after yeah, fact yeah, thing. Yeah. But it seemed like every production of each Nightmare film was just well. I'm gonna give you a possible reason for that. Okay, no shade against Paramount, 
to me, Paramount knew Friday the 13th was a shitty fucking franchise. Like, oh dear. I say that as someone who loves, I mean, really likes a lot of those movies, but they knew it was a, it was a factory, right? Just fucking throw money at it, get it made. We're going to make a lot of money in return. Mm. And you don't see a lot of Paramount, like, higher-ups being like, oh, yeah, like, this film is so amazing, blah, blah, blah. Whereas when you see Bob Shea talk about Nightmare on Elm Street, any of them, mm. he is passionate. Right. They hired people that really wanted to do something and inspire creativity in these films. Like, I right. really feel like, it, despite the fact that this, yes, Freddy built New Lime, I really get the feeling that New Lime, it wasn't just, oh, it's money, which obviously that is the case. Mm-hmm. I get the feeling that New Line and everyone up there really just really cared about these films. And I don't get that feeling from Paramount about Friday the 13th. Right. I, I co-sign all of it. Uh, it just seems that I felt like watching Never Sleep Again was like, like everybody who came back to talk about it seemed like they look back at it with a sense of awe and nostalgia and just like, right. you know, oh, those were the great old days. And we just did. We came in and had a job to do and we did it. And then we you know look at all these fans and, you know, they just seem to be glad to be there. But you look at Crystal Lake memories. It's like, ooh. <laughs> and then you go and you sit there, you, you talk to like like some like some of you guys or something like that. You like wonder what's really going on like wonder what really started it like how they say it there's a constructed answer to something and then there's like the truth <laughs> you know like mm-hmm. what's the what's the tea that's what you really want to go ask them like but no no cameras <laughs> here no mics what's the true tea like let me know what's going on <laughs> i just think it's funny out of the two franchises i wouldn't have thought that jason would be the messy bitch who loves drama and freddie is the one who's just like <laughs> yeah i'm just making movies no biggie yeah. yes i always tell people that jason and michael are the shadiest out of the whole um slasher canon um peeps because they just seem like they would be messy like they do shit on the sly <laughs> <laughs> let's dive into this plot yeah because we have so many little weird things to talk about So right off the top, we open with two quotes that's going to tell you exactly how you should approach this film. (laughs) We've got one from Nietzsche and we've got one from Freddy. Welcome to primetime, bitch. So it's very much a like, hey, we know what we're making. This is going to be very self-aware. This is the kind of humor that we're going to give you. Mm hmm. Okay, so yes, then we get the crawl, which Mark has already elaborated on a little bit. So Springwood has no children. The uh, adults are all hypnotized. And then we've got this one remaining team. Okay, it's 10 years later, right? It's like 10 years from now. And it's done in like future tech, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I was like, okay. Welcome back to 91, baby. Technology is the future. Computers. (laughs) We're all going to be on the net soon. I was screaming I watched it. Knowing now what I knew then, it's like, oh, wow, that is mm-hmm. kind of dated. <laughs> this, is, this is so dated. I don't know. We're saying all of this, but when we rewatch Freddy vs. Jason, a lot of the stuff from this feels like it's showing up in that early mm-hmm. part of the film. And yeah, right, right. This franchise does have a memory, but also I feel like we mock this one, but then we also hold it up and reference it later. So, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we are introduced to John Doe, who is played by Sean Greenblatt. And basically we get two back-to-back nightmares, both of which involve his fear of falling. So in one, he gets sucked out of a plane. That's fun. And then the other one, he is in his house that is falling. And Freddy Krueger, played by, of course, Robert Englund, appears as the Wicked Witch. 
right, two things. One about the plane is like when he's like, "Ma'am, can I please get another seat?" And she's like, "There's no seats left. This is, like, it's all booked." And he's like, "Cool." And then like a minute later, he's like, "Ma'am, can I please switch seats?" And I'm like, "Dude, there are no seats." It's <laughs> a full flight. <laughs> already told you, <laughs> right? Like a seat's gonna pop up out of the middle of nowhere. Well, one technically did, but you don't want that seat, so you know. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, just sit your ass there and just keep calm. <laughs> I, I already said this, but I really do like the Wicked Witch thing. Um, also, the the score that plays during this is like a weird hybrid of like the Wicked Witch theme with, I guess, something from Nightmare on Elm Street or something original. But I think it's really fun. Yeah, it's too brief for me. Like, I yeah. was trying to figure out if we were going to do a lot of Wizard of Oz references. Or is this just, oh, we're acknowledging that if you're going to have a house, you should have a witch and you should make a little crack about, I'll get you. Okay, my good idea. He The house lands. He's fine. He gets out and there are ruby slippers like sticking out from under the house. And when he tries to touch them, they roll up and like they're Freddy. They, or like the feet do something. The shoes do something to him, right? Mm-hmm. Like Aww. if you're going to use that, like use it. Right. Yeah, because I was trying to figure out, oh, are we going to do fairy tales? Are we just going to be doing homages to other texts? And it's like, Yes and yes, but also very fleetingly. Like, I I guess I wasn't sure why we were specifically going with an amnesiac. And I, uh, I kept trying to figure out, are things going to be important later? And the answer for the most part is kind of no. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and when he gets out of this house and he jumps over the fence, we have the credits playing over this because we see him rolling down a hill. Mm-hmm. It's a very big hill. Yeah. I want to say about an hour. (laughs) And and also, but the camera, like we get POV shots of the camera as it's spinning. And Mm -hmm. I swear to God, there's like a 10 second shot of this camera just spinning around (laughs) as the credits go. Yes. I was like, this is like very nauseating as a kid. Because like you said, Trace, like you turn your head thinking like, okay, they're going to stop this. I mean, you turn back and it's still rolling. I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Like. Like we get it, he's he's we get it, he's falling, and but just looking at this now, it's funny to joke about it. But back then, I was like, no, this is it's epic. Yeah, well, they they should have done what movies from the fifties did and just put all the credits on like one card, so we had because <laughs> it really feels like they were like, well, we gotta like get through these credits, so just make the rolling scene longer. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> well, or Rachel Talalay is a director who likes to take her time, so she said, you know what, this is a two hour and ten minute movie. People <laughs> need to settle in. Let's let them just roll with it a little bit. Yes, <laughs> literally, literally. <laughs> we also get. If I'm not mistaken, the score to Flight of the Valkyries playing as he's like running around trying to figure out where he's going and being very desperate. Again, a Possibly. bit of an odd choice. Um, <laughs> that, that's the dun da da dun 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 That's that? Okay. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, it's very epic like, oh, okay. And going back to what Mark said way earlier, you are, it does kind of suck that this is a nobody. Like, they're doing the Tina thing with him, right? That's the, that's an homage to the first movie, right? Let's make this our protagonist. Oops, he dies halfway through the movie, whatever. Mm-hmm. It really, de- it definitely would have been better if he was, like, Alice's son from that fifth movie. Yes, but I do love the subversion that we spend so much of the time thinking this John Doe is going to be something special, and then we find out he is not, and he is so unceremoniously killed, and then we don't really talk about him again. As a first-time viewer, I fucking loved it. I was like, yes, yes, because I didn't expect any of that. I like that growing up, and I like that, you know, they went their route, and they had the whole explanation of, like, 
oh, nobody remembers John Doe or um, mm-hmm. Carlos or Spencer. We don't know what you're talking mm-hmm. about. That's a good way to just sit there and say we're not going to mention them more. But <laughs> I'm getting to become more and more loving of Trace's footnote of that could have been Jacob Johnson. Alva, if yeah. that had been like the twist and he just had like little flashes of Alice pop up or something like that, Oh my god, that would have been so much better. But yeah. really, you you two don't think that would have been more of a fuck you to fans? Like, hey, not only are we not giving you Alice, but here's the kid. Oh, he's dead. Well, you know, the fans already felt like this was a big fuck you. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we're already flipping them the bird, so let's just push it all the way. I mean, and it's not like I mean, look, Friday the Thirteenth Part Two kills its final girl in the first fucking scene. Like, it's not new dream what right. do you think of dream master killing off all the dream warriors <laughs> i mean i feel like that wasn't well received like every time i watch that movie people always talk about how it feels like it's two movies well that's me i i, I think that but <laughs> <laughs> and terry menard yeah um okay so he's stumbling around obligatory cameo from rob shea he's the ticket yes. seller and then yeah i i kind of love this weirdness john doe runs out into the street immediately gets hit by a bus which um, is being driven no, 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 no. by freddie he is not immediately hit by this bus he's in the street and he sees like a mirage of the bus <laughs> appear and he stares at it for a good five seconds as it speeds towards him <laughs> he's an amnesiac he doesn't remember what buses are he's not an amnesiac yet the amnesia hits when he hits his rock when he's thrown out of the town right right i do love this image though where it basically smokes him through a kind of like mirror slash rip in the dream universe Mm -hmm. and then he's just out in a country road hitting his head on a rock doesn't make any sense but i like the visual again like this is that looney tunes where it's like Mm -hmm. oh the the john doe shaped hole in the wall Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Yeah, it was. I think that's where everybody was like, "What the fuck are we sitting here watching right now?" Like, this is not scary. I pictured like people in the audience was like, "Oh, we're just gonna sit here and just laugh our ass off the rest of this damn movie." Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So John Doe eventually gets taken to a youth shelter, and I'm just gonna quickly reference that some of my observations I should be giving credit to Rebecca McCallum from Ghouls Magazine because she wrote a piece called "Reviving Freddy: A Critical Reassessment of Freddy's Dead: The Final Nightmare." Ooh. It's where I get a lot of the homages from because I like the series, but I don't rewatch it frequently. So. Mm-hmm. Obviously, when we see a youth shelter with troubled teens, we immediately go back to Dream, Dream Warriors. Warriors. Right. But also, at one point, when Spencer, who is played by Breckenmeyer, gets introduced, he talks about how he was teaching the kids survival tactics by teaching them how to use a bong. And that, of course, is a reference to Nancy's line mm-hmm. about survival in the first film. Yeah. Can you text me that or email me that uh, that piece? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh okay so in addition to spencer we also have sexual assault survivor tracy who is played by leslie dean and then we have hearing disabled carlos who is played by ricky dean logan and just a quick shout out to the nightmare on elm street franchise for always giving us people of color and always including disabled people and just interesting kids Uh I don't always love what they do with them, but at least we're making efforts at representation. Yes, but to me, though, this... I like Carlos. I like Tracy. Um, mm-hmm. Spence is fine. Spence is like nothing. If he wasn't Breckenmeyer, we would not care. Yeah. yeah. And I've also like, I've never been so stoned that I would like see my friend in a TV and be like, dude, what are you doing in there? <laughs> right. <laughs> this is what we thought of pot back in those days. Remember like exactly. the gateway drug kids. <laughs> 
But they do seem like just like kind of second tier versions of the Dream Warriors because right. Tracy's very much like Terran mm-hmm. from the Dream Warriors. Um, we have uh, Carlos, who's kind of like um, the kid in the wheelchair or mm-hmm. actually, no, um, the one who doesn't speak. It right. honestly so, feels like they're taking like those kind of archetypes and just mimicking them for this with kind of less compelling versions of them. Is right. it a deliberate homage, though? Like, these are the characters that you like, so we're giving them to you again. But oops, we forgot to make them three dimensional characters. Well, and that's where an extra runtime would come in handy, right? Like, I actually, I do want to spend more time with these characters. The pacing of the structure of this movie is so weird because I actually forgot that Carlos dies at, like, the halfway point before Mm -hmm. Spencer. And it's really just we have, okay, we have the scene in the house and we have the climax. Like, that is literally, I'm like, okay, well, I guess that's the movie. A Mm -hmm. little bit, yeah. As a first time watch, when they leave Springwood and come back to the shelter, it felt very awkward like it's not a smooth transition i would have just happily have stayed in springwood because i think it would have been a smarter choice Mm -hmm. right yeah so that is the teens at this youth shelter and then we also have adults so we have maggie burrows who is the therapist played by lisa zane and quick shout out i immediately pegged lisa zane as an actress that i loved in a one season wonder tv show from the mid 90s called profit so anybody who loves profit let me know it's great I didn't know she was Billy Zane's sister until this week. So, oh really? <laughs> really? I, I I only know her from this movie, so I had no idea who she was outside uh, okay. of that woman from Freddy's Dead. Right. I did see Prophet, and that was kind of a dark show with Adrian oh, Pastor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used it's to own good. the set. I still have the DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to DVDs in this episode because apparently we're still in love with them. <laughs> Fuck you, Blu-rays. Yeah. What have you done for us lately? 4K. 4k what (laughs) (laughs) uh and then the other adult of course is doc who is played by the one and only yafet kodo and i needed more yafet kodo in this film yeah yeah. i don't love the character but as soon as i saw who was playing him i was like oh my god i love you but see i love yafet kodo but i do think that his character is an example of this lazy screenwriting (laughs) did he remind you of a little larry fishburn from dream warriors Oh my god, well, a little bit, but, like, also because he's an expert on dreams. Like, of course he is. Of course he is. But here's the thing, his job isn't dreams. His job is something else. He just happens to have an interest in dreams. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and wasn't that, like, the dialogue when she said, when you need me stop using this dream stuff, she said, you're supposed Mm -hmm. to be, he was like, they they pay you to do this, and he said, well, they don't pay me enough, so. Wouldn't it have made more sense for him to have been something along the lines of, I'm a disciple of Nancy Thompson? That would have made so much sense because if they both study in the whole realm of dream suppression and all this stuff or had control Mm -hmm. of your dreams, it would have connected it back to the first three movies of the original and three. Because after Nancy left, you don't hear anything else about her except for her tombstone popping up in Nightmare 4. And Mm -hmm. that was just like as a pan shot. (laughs) If like all the people Freddy has knocked out so far, you know, it was kind of like a... um, five freddy uh zero dream warriors you know so (laughs) but in video game logic this is how many people have died and right i would love to feed that i never thought of that joe but yeah (laughs) this series loves video games because it thinks that teenagers who play video games are dumb is very odd comic books and video games in this series it's like uh that doesn't make them bad teens right 
Okay, so John Doe and Maggie get off on the wrong foot. Um, in his defense, she does ask an amnesia kid where he's from, so he yells at her, <laughs> I don't know! <laughs> and then he demands caffeine pills or maybe some coke and then he has to clarify that he meant the soda which immediately made me think of that line that ty says in clueless where she's like no shit you guys got coke here <laughs> it took me forever to figure out what she was talking about but 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 that's funny whereas this joke is more just like womp womp for me <laughs> come on trace you love a coke joke you make them every other week <laughs> but like it wasn't a funny joke <laughs> I'm so weak right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, I guess shit. it does tie into the like drug. This is your brain on drugs that we get from Johnny Depp later, which yeah, <laughs> okay, yes. Yeah. Oh god. Oh, boy. <sighs> okay, so we learned that John Doe and Maggie are both having the same kind of restless dreams, and we see that John Doe has a newspaper clipping with a woman who will eventually be revealed to be Loretta Kruger who is played by Lindsay Fields. Did they say her name at all? I had no idea that was her name. I only saw it, I think, because of the Wikipedia slash IMDb entries. Mm. How about that when that picture just sits up and just starts talking to Maggie as she's sleeping? Okay, so I like that. I thought it was really interesting. I didn't understand what was happening, but visually I thought it was fun. <laughs> well, when I started to rewatch it today, um, I, I didn't realize there's a little girl in the plane in the beginning that is mm -hmm. the young Maggie, which yes. still doesn't make a lot of sense, sense to me, no. but mm -mm. sure. Unless we're meant to read them as like, oh, they're psychically calling out to one another, which again, in a way, it would have almost made sense if then he was Alice's son, and then he's speaking oh. telekinetically, mm -hmm. or telepathically right. rather, to Kruger's daughter. Oh my god, we're rewriting this film. Yeah, I mean, that, but that's what I'm saying, right? We're sitting here for an hour and an hour or two, and being like, "Well, this would have been better." And they, it may not have made it a good movie, but it definitely would have made it a better movie, right? I think right. just tying it into the chronology a little bit yeah. more solidly. Right. And there are times where I just feel like, oh, this film's only connection to the other ones is that we've got Freddy Krueger and a child. Exactly. That was the thing that mm. always bothered me is the fact that it's the dangling thread, you know, and I always tell people that I feel like a Nightmare on Elm Street when it comes to all the slasher franchises, it's the tightest one continuity wise, except for Freddy's mm. there because it's the whole big gap in time. I think Jason is next, but yeah, Freddy, um, the Elm Street franchise is more tight when it comes to the ongoing storyline. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the rules make no sense, but they at least acknowledge each other. Right. I would die on a um, hill if anybody wants to come for me about that. Because I had to, had to debate a lot of people on that, so I'm just putting it out there. Oh, interesting. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm just saying. Okay, so I feel like we can just gloss over the padded room sleepwalking bit, although I did really like the moment where he basically pushes a security guard out a window and then the guy just calls him an asshole and brushes himself <laughs> off. Um, I'm sorry. What about when he... Hey, so yes, the padded room, but like the version of himself that's tied up and he's like, free me, you idiot. I'm your fucking memory. <laughs> mm. That okay. felt like it's a drop plot thread from another draft of the screenplay. I mean, it's supposed to be like, yeah, he hit his head on the rock and then his, specifically his memory about Freddy Krueger <laughs> and only Freddy Krueger and his name, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it's just this embodiment of that, but I'm like, alright. All right. I just thought the delivery was funny when he's just yelling at the camera. 
It is. It it's funny. I feel like if that had been a recurring bit until he got killed, or maybe until his moment of realization that he's not Freddy's son, that would have pulled it in tighter for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so Doc basically says, hey, you've got this kid, he's messed up, why don't you take him to Springwood where he clearly has a connection? So Maggie's like, cool, let's hop in the van, and off they go to Springwood, whose town motto is a nice place to live, which I say, well, (laughs) maybe not. (laughs) Uh, They almost get into a crash because, of course, he sees this little girl and we had to jerk the wheel, and this is when it's revealed that Spencer, Tracy, and Carlos have all snuck away from the youth hostel, and they are in the back. I mean, I'm not going to get too sticklery about this, but would she really be allowed to just take him to Springwood? No. (laughs) No. 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 I guess unless... Well... It seems unusual because it's happening so quickly, but I guess there's no laws prohibiting it. Well, and that's the thing. It, this feels rushed to me. And I do wonder if any of that extra footage like was before this. I imagine yes. And and like I don't think John Doe is the most compelling character in this franchise or no. this film for that matter. But I do see like hints of like intrigue in his relationship with Maggie mm-hmm. and I do wish there were more scenes where they could just talk instead of just being on the hunt. Yeah, it's very much a mystery. Like, we're going to go to here. We're going to get a clip. We're going to go to here. We're going to get a clip. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So they do arrive in Springwood, and it is a town, as previously teased, populated exclusively by adults. They appear to be hanging out at some kind of fair. This is where we start to get a little Twin Peaksy because there's just weird shit happening. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm going to give a quick shout out to McCallum because we do see a shot of cockroaches on a pizza and she reads that as references to the two iconic sequences in Dream Master. Oh, Oh, that would make sense. Pizza and roaches. I love this concept. I think this is a really cool concept. It goes nowhere. The problem is, this is outside of this and and what we get in the orphanage in the school with the one one teacher and the one orphanager person. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, okay, like, it got here. I I really do kind of want to see how it got here, how it got so weird. Mm -hmm. I get the Twin Peaks influence. I don't think there's a way to explain this. I do think it's a bit weird, though, that, like, at least as of the prologue of this film, John Doe still lives in this town. He has maybe parents. I don't know. Mm. And so I guess the town is like this, even though he's still a kid there. I wish there was more world building here. Right. This is one of the things I'm getting ready to work on my podcast, and I've constantly mm-hmm. said this on other podcasts when it comes to okay. Freddy Krueger. My whole explanation to how all that came to be is the two season Freddy's nightmares, because Freddy came uh, for everybody oh. in there, because right. he came for teens in the first season mostly, but then when he got to the second season, he he started coming for more of the adults and a lot of teens. He don't necessarily kill them, but he fucks up their world to the point where they end up getting killed anyway. And it's just like, that would make the most sense if he left Am Street or he he knocked out the last of the Am Street kids by part four. And that's around the same time that Freddy's Nightmares was airing. So I'm thinking to myself like, they had plenty of time for him to go around and just kill everybody and, um, or kill main people and, Springwood, and that's mm-hmm. how it came to be. And I, a lot of people are always saying like, "Oh, that's just um, cash grab." I'm like, "No, but if you want to reclaim what happened, that's the perfect way to go by doing it." Yeah, and that timeline totally works. 
Yeah, actually, you're you're right. Uh, Freddy's Nightmares premiered a year before Five came out, and ended a year and a half before Freddy's Dead came out. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you know what? Good. I'm gonna just use that in my brain every time I watch this movie again. Yeah, I'll subscribe <laughs> yeah. to that. I'm glad because I want more people to really watch this show. It's bad, but it's still Freddy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So. <laughs> And I'm gonna do a whole episode about it, and I tag you guys in it because I'm working on it right now. So, yay! Nice. Please okay. do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So among the citizens, we have Ethel, who is played by Mrs. Tom Arnold, <laughs> aka Roseanne Barr. I mean, I think this is fine. I, I feel like people like they're oh, the one with Roseanne. She has what three lines oh, in yeah. one scene. In this I movie? honestly thought we were gonna get a bunch of her, and then when she and Tom Arnold never come back, I just thought. Oh, this isn't even a cameo. This is like they happened to be around set that day. And Caleb is like, hey, get in front of the camera for a minute. Yep. <laughs> Pretty much. Like, it's ridiculous. They have fewer lines than Johnny Depp does, I think. Uh, I think you're right. <laughs> but that's the thing. So when people are like, oh, the one with Roseanne, I'm just like, yeah, but it, honestly, if you didn't know who they were, like, they wouldn't even make an impression in this film. Right. right. Although we should note that at the time that this film came out, Roseanne would have been a massive star. Yeah. Like right. everyone would have known who she was. Well, and their and their marriage was like tabloid fodder. Yes. Because I, yeah. I do love that one of the tidbits on this film is Talalay being like, oh, yeah, they were basically just fucking all the time in their trailer. Oh, <laughs> oh my, my God. God. <laughs> <laughs> to which I'm just like, not an image I want. And also, <laughs> yeah, oh, my God. <laughs> She's on all the ambient. Yeah. So obviously <laughs> something is not. <laughs> so obviously not everything is okay in this town. And Maggie is like, okay, you three need to get the fuck out of here and go back because I'm not, you're not supposed to be here and I'm going to get in a shit out of trouble. So Tracy, Carlos, and Spencer try to leave town and they discover very quickly that they're caught in a time loop and they cannot. I love this map bit with Carlos. I thought that was actually like one of the more impressive sequences it's not even like that long right? he just opens the map opens it opens it, opens it fills the car uh-huh. but then we get that great payoff with your fucks <laughs> <laughs> the map says we're fucked yes I, I did think that that was very amusing yeah also they drive past this statue and i don't know what the statue is supposed to be but it says at the bottom the insignia says the children shall suffer and it totally looked like isaac from children of the corn to me so i'm just going to consider this mm. part of a canon like these two franchises are now <laughs> ah. intersecting all right wow i didn't pay no attention to that okay i should know that by now <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> Okay, so meanwhile, Maggie and John, yes, they're on their investigation hunt. They go to the school. They get told that there's a missing child. No, what does this okay. note even say? Th- this, again, is just convenient. <laughs> like, <laughs> they go to this school. They happen to go to the one teacher who's just giving a lecture. And he's like, and then he's just like, oh, by the way, let me give you this bit of information about Freddy Krueger at a kid that we've never heard about before. Like... And that's not even specific to this movie. Like, this happens a lot. And like like you said, Joe, in Final Entries, where it's like, oh, or I mean, fuck, Scream 3, you know? Like, br- mm-hmm. bring in like, new information that we've never heard before. Right. This is lazy to me. <laughs> so this didn't, this didn't bother me because I was taking it as, okay, these adults are all kind of under hypnosis mm-hmm. because right, of right. Freddy. So they're obsessed with Freddy. So everything that they do is talk about Freddy. Like, they've got nothing mm, else. Right. They're almost like hollowed out. And just have memories of whatever important Freddy thing they were involved okay. in. 
Right. Okay. I don't know that it makes it more compelling, but that's how oh, I sorry, rationalized no. it. <laughs> My okay wasn't meant to be a cunty, like, okay. okay. Like, I was like, no, oh, no I'm no. going to accept that. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of accepted it, too. I felt like it was the aftermath of what happened in Freddy's Nightmare. Like, you know, okay, this motherfucker is powerful. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's very powerful. Mm-hmm. We're just going to just submit to his will and just yes. so we won't get our asses fucked over. So yeah, I'm going to have to go watch all Freddy. 44 of these fucking episodes. <laughs> it, it is a legitimately bad show. <laughs> I mean, two seasons it lasted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I guess quick shout out to a uh, former guest on the show, Brennan Klein. He actually did a podcast where he broke down every episode of it for charity. Yes. It's a funny podcast, and the episode that I guessed it on was a pain to have to watch because oh. I was like, these episodes are not good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it is a thing that exists, and we have now decided it is canon. So get on to it, people. <laughs> okay so meanwhile the kids end up in 1428 uh i do like the moment where the first sale signs spontaneously combust because it feels like a very bullshit freddy thing to do mm-hmm. and then uh carlos goes first and i was disappointed because i agree that i think spencer should have been the one to go first because he's boring and carlos is actually very interesting well, and he's nice, and he's he has he has a personality. Like, I mean, unfortunately for Spencer, for, oh my God, Spencer Breslin, um, for Brecken Meyer, <laughs> for Brecken Meyer, I feel like the direction was you're a stoner, you're lazy, which he took to mean as you have no personality, right? And it's his first film role, you know, whatever. Like, I think Brecken Meyer is good, sass, solid, and other things, but mm-hmm. like, yeah, he just is nothing in this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Carlos's death, I had heard about before because of Mm -hmm. so many people talking about the Q-tip and their fears of this happening in real life. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like the fact that he gets this mutant hearing aid that makes everything Mm -hmm. super loud. I Mm -hmm. wish this is one of those moments where I thought this film could have played this in one of two ways. And I think the comedy bit is very Looney Tunes. It works in that regard. But part of me thought, how much better would this be if it hadn't been played straight and scary? Yes, I, this is the most effective kill in this movie, which granted, there are three kills in this movie, so it doesn't really matter. It's a low body count, yeah. Then yeah. that's an issue people take with it, too. Like, I mean, you know, I like Tracy, but why does Tracy leave this movie alive, you know? Because she's got her wits about her. But yes, if, if it was played straight, I think it would have been very effective. That being said, I love the chalkboard bit like where he like oh, yeah. he, where he's showing and he's like huh and then he yeah. like stretches it ooh, <gasps> ooh, like that's your bugs bunny and <laughs> yeah. it's funny when he teases him and it's funny when he's basically just like fucking this chalkboard with his hand yeah <laughs> right. even the chalkboard gets bigger between scenes so he starts off with a small chalkboard and then when he realizes he wants to scratch the claws on it the chalkboard gets bigger i mean th- that effect is cool when he pulls it and it just gets bigger like that it's so mm-hmm. awesome yeah. yeah, it's fun, weird dream logic that works. Yeah, yeah. and mixed with your Looney Tunes. Yes. Yeah, I was towards the, the whole silence bit. I would know when he was just walking around. It kind of frightened me a little bit mm-hmm. as a kid. Mm-hmm. But it was just like, okay, up until the point where like when he bounces into him and he's just standing there, that would have scared the fuck out of me if I was involved in it. But when the chalkboard came out, I was like, okay, we're back to, you know, the comedy and stuff. And yes. I was like, fine with it but yeah and i'll even say and this is an issue that i take with this franchise as a whole i could not give a shit about this boiler room setting Eh. i wish i do something that's related to ears i don't know have him go to the ear doctor you know 
Like, like, like how, how uh, is it, oh, whatever the kid that can't speak in the third one, where, he, like, the nurse, like, seduces him or whatever, like, mm-hmm. like, do something like that where it's like, oh, like, Freddy's tricking you. And so much of this is just Freddy popping out, which, again, like you said, Mark, they play with the sound here, which is kind of cool, mm-hmm. but it's just, oh, he's just running around this industrial-looking place, and I just think it's such a boring setting that this franchise goes back to, to and obviously, I know why, I know why they go back there, but mm-hmm. I just don't, I wish they would avoid it. It probably was them saying, like, say goodbye to the boiler room, you know, um, their way of saying, like, this is the last time you'll see Freddy in the boiler room, which we know that was not the case. But mm-hmm. I would get that if the climax wasn't also set in a boiler type room. <laughs> True. Yeah, I think it makes more sense if the character has a relationship to it. So it makes sense when it's Maggie or it makes sense when it's one of the people who are directly tied to Freddy. Mm-hmm. But in this case, like, Carlos doesn't know ready from anybody else like he's just caught in a scary nightmare with a burnt man i don't know why it has to be a boiler room well and we have this kind of inkling that like his mom did something to him because you know his like mom mommy mommy please don't make me deaf and i'm like okay that's a cool thing to explore but then she's gone after she's the q-tip in his ear which granted the effect of the q-tip with all the goo on it when it comes out is really cool yeah uh, this this film it's playing off of Dream Warriors again, where all of the children are the product of abuse, whether that's physical, emotional, or mental. Because mm-hmm. with uh, Tracy, she's obviously sexually assaulted by her father. Here, I got the impression that Carlos was physically abused. Yeah. And then with uh, Spencer, he's emotionally abused by his father. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, also, John Krasinski owes this film money because this is well before A Quiet Place. <laughs> I'm, okay, it, it's not the first film to incorporate silence for a deaf character. <laughs> no, Trace, it's the very first. <laughs> uh, okay, so Carlos is sadly dead. Yes, he does appear on the TV to warn Spencer, who uh, also gets to watch an anti-drug PSA from the cameo of Johnny Depp who, of course, is credited as Oprah Noodle Mantra, which, why? <laughs> I was shocked they even got Johnny Depp at that time. I mean, but like you said, he was left over from Crybaby, but it was just the fact mm-hmm. that you probably would have tried to get Heather Langenkamp, maybe, in some type of capacity, unless she was like, I know Wes is not there, I'm not going to fuck with it, or maybe yeah because that, that's the thing right with Wes Craven with his I, I think specifically of Heather Langenkamp and Nev Campbell where both of them are very much like um we're not doing it without Wes Craven yeah but she was on a tv show uh Heather Langenkamp oh actually at this time she was on uh just the 10 of us just the 10 of us it was 88 to 90 through 90 so she probably would have been filming that show when this was being filmed Right. Mm. I imagine, again, this was, hey, Johnny Depp, we just worked together. I'm about to make this movie. Can you swing by for 10 minutes? And I mean, obviously, like, we, we, we aren't we're not putting a bunch of queerness into this film, but the queerness here is the John Waters factor. Like, I mean, right. mm. the camp in this film. And and that's what I'm saying. Like, I wish it kind of would have gone harder into that. Like, I think that would have made this maybe not better, but like just more memorable in the sense of like, oh, my God, look how wacky that is. Because, again, I just don't mm-hmm. this movie has wacky moments, but I don't think it's wacky enough twisted. Like John Waters has a twisted, sick sense of humor. And mm-hmm. That doesn't always complement with the Looney Tunes-ness of this film. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 
Okay, so we've got a quick scene at the orphanage where we discover that John thinks he is this missing child of Freddie, and then they end up meeting back up with Tracy. She can't wake Spencer up, so she and John both decide that they're going to go into the dream world to try to wake him up or to stop Freddie from killing him, because we are seeing through Maggie's eyes that Spencer has now become a video game character in real life, and he is bouncing around this house. So, okay, I love the concept of this sequence i yes. think it's really cool this is your execution mark <laughs> the, well yes. and i think the 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 game stuff looks good or is cool i don't need to see him bouncing around this house yeah. i loved it growing up that was my favorite sequence in the entire movie growing up was yeah. seeing him get uh, like okay. thrown around the house like a video game and then because I like the whole actually I love the sequence of him getting brought into the TV like oh, that was yeah. my introduction to In the God of the In Vita, the of the Vita. <laughs> yeah and so I was like oh I love this song and so yeah. I was like you know okay this is nice so every time he went into the TV I was there like if I was doing something reading a book or something while I was playing in the background mm-hmm. I was always here for the scene because I actually loved Brick and Mary getting thrown around the house like he was it was just funny to me Well, okay. and, and I, I'm betting they didn't have the budget for this because yeah, you're right. When the, when the TV gets him, like, you know, the colors come out of the TV. It's very mm-hmm. psychedelic. Obviously, we're doing that because he's stoned. Wouldn't it have been kind of cool, though, to be, like, in the game with him? Like, I know we yeah. see the game. But, like, if we were in there, like, seeing, like, like a Roger Rabbit style type of thing. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, this, having just watched Dream Child, felt very similar to when Mark gets sucked into the I comic book. The thing. Mm. And I wonder if they, I mean, A, I do think that it's a bit of a homage to that, but I wonder if, yeah, they either didn't have the budget or they thought, no, that's too similar. We just did that in the last movie. Maybe. And I think, though, I mean, this is like the, you know, early ish days of video gaming. And my issue with this scene outside of what I just said has always been the manner in which he dies because he falls into a pit at the bottom of the stairs. I I will buy that that happens, but here's the thing. I actually think it would have been more effective and also kind of fucked up if when he first starts bouncing and, you know, his head gets like stuck in the ceiling. Mm -hmm. If his head had been like crushed doing that or something. Right. Like, I don't need a a hole to appear in this house for no fucking reason for him to jump down it. Mm -hmm. Like do something where like, Oh yeah. Like, okay, sure. He's bouncing around in the house in real life because he's bouncing around in the game. But then yeah, have him die because of something like that. Like he, he jumps into the ceiling. His head is fucking like shoved down into his chest. Yeah. Yeah. The visual of him falling into the hole and then seeing what that hole looks like again felt very dream child like because that's they all get, you know, the souls end up getting sucked down. But that makes sense because that's going into Alice's like baby uterus vagina. So (laughs) here I'm just like, well, we ain't going in no fallopian tubes. Like we're just feeding (laughs) Freddy's vat of soul sucky. That was a sentence I just said aloud. There you go. Yes. So yes. visually, I was like, this isn't as interesting as it could be. And also, it doesn't fully make sense as to what it's doing. Like, why wouldn't you just have Freddy be like, Shh. right? Yeah. And I, it's supposed to be his dad in the game, right? That's like yes. beating him. Yeah. Be yeah. like me. Be like me. Which I thought, again, was very compelling. Like, that makes sense. Same as Carlos's mom with the Q-tip. But they just need to take it a little further. Well, and I would even argue that it's actually more successful in Spencer's area, because at least we've had a scene with Spencer and his dad where it's like, okay, cool, this is the establishing part of this character. Right. Right. Carlos's establishing scene is just, oh, he's deaf. 
right like the mom the mom our introduction of the mom is in the dream and it's mm-hmm. not expanded upon at all yeah, yeah and only thing we get with i'm not trying to jump ahead but only thing we got with yeah. tracy was the fact that you kind of get like a um foreshadow when she says you know don't don't talk don't talk to me about dads you right. know because we knew that there was a touchy subject for her so it was like okay something all y'all have screwed up parents so that's yeah. the theme of the franchise but and there is that scene earlier with Spencer, though, where um, where Maggie says she doesn't like to be touched. So immediately exactly. you're cued into that right away. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I felt like it was more effective with Spencer and Tracy than it was with Carlos, yeah. for sure, though. Mm-hmm. Again, it's just like, is that part of that work cut where we get just a little bit more with Carlos? Like maybe his mom comes to visit him as well. One of the quotes from Talalay about that work cut was like, oh, we wanted to get to Freddy quicker. And so it's like, I feel like that's kind of what this movie yeah. is. We're cutting out so many scenes that don't that wouldn't have Freddy in them to mm-hmm. get to Freddy quicker. And I get it. I just I think it does make the movie not as successful. That's always the problem, right? We privilege the villains as opposed to the characters that they're actually killing. But at the end of the day, we know a shit ton about Freddy Krueger already. This is movie number six. Like, I get that that's why people are coming, but we also need to care about these characters. Otherwise, they get murdered and we don't give a shit. Mm. Exactly. I think that's one of the reasons why I love these movies. I think there was two Sandras in Friday the 13th. (laughs) <laughs> the franchise but it's like i can name all the the kids that appeared in nightmare i can name all the characters by heart and that's mm-hmm. because you grow to love them and i like you guys would love to get to know these three a little bit more yeah, yeah. it's a critique for me but it's also like i'm lamenting it because i'm like yeah i would like to know more about these kids i would like mm-hmm. to have more time with them before they die because half of the kids get killed at the halfway part point of the film mm-hmm. yeah yeah, and that's where we are. So Carlos and Spencer are dead. Uh, Tracy gets to kick Freddy in the balls before they wake her up. And then they try to abscond in the van, but they can't wake up John. So he's still in the dream. And this is where we sadly lose him because he gets to have a fun shirt parachute. We get confirmation <laughs> that he is not Freddy's son. And then Freddy drops him onto a row of spikes and he dies. <laughs> that image, though, of Freddy pushing out, which is very like Wiley Coyote Roadrunner type thing. Like, mm-hmm. I I love that. I think I'm sure people hate it. They're like, it is too stupid. But to me, I'm like, no, 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 no more of this please <laughs> right and that's the one of the reasons why i you know caved into this franchise like you know it's just okay freddy's scary but he's it's also, also wacky cool. and funny right yeah. right yeah. he's also kind of cool you know so that's yeah. that's one of the reasons why i caved into the franchise like i could see myself getting to like this guy even though mm-hmm. he's a serial murder of children but it's still the concept <laughs> of i can still like fuck with this type of horror yeah yeah Well, and this is also the only franchise that allows for really exciting visuals when it comes to its death sequences. Like, you know, you get some very stoic kills in the Halloween franchise. You get some very weird kind of Jason has freakish mutant strength kills in Friday (laughs) the 13th. But then Freddy gets to play around with logic so he can do the most wackadoodle shit. Mm -hmm. And it visually is just way more interesting to me as a horror fan. Well, and this has the highest budget out of any Nightmare film at the time. Inflation. I mean, I mean, like Nightmare 3 had a budget of $4 million. Like <laughs> Nightmare 4 had a budget of $6 million compared to this one's $11 million. So this had almost double the budget of Nightmare 4. But look at the effects in Nightmare 4 compared to the effects here. And 5, yeah. Uh, this one is definitely a disappointment in terms of its makeup and practical effects. 
Yeah. And but also even on a conceptual level, you know, like we don't have a concept here that's like the roach in four. Right. No, that's that is true. Right. Okay, so we're ready to leave Springwood behind because John Doe is dead. So it's like, uh, let's get the fuck out of here. But Maggie (laughs) needs to get possessed by Freddy so that they can go traveling. So she technically carries him out. Was was this explained in Freddy's Nightmares? (laughs) No, it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't. But it's just the fact that um, I just like to... I I, I don't use Freddy's Nightmares to... (laughs) <laughs> tie in the beginning of the movie and when they get to the town and after that it's just like okay it's on the song Freddy's no. Nightmares has served its purpose after that but after this I'm like I I, I have nothing <laughs> you know what Mark you are not responsible to answer Trace's no, bitchy I mean, questions look, it, this is dumb it makes no sense whatever it's fine it, it's, it's fine but again it does reek of like oh we have to figure out a way to do it oh let's mm-hmm. just do this <laughs> <laughs> yeah which to me again is the reason why you don't like have Doc come into this to help them if you really want to bring him back but i think staying here and having to fight freddy on his own turf and being able to stick with it and not lose the dream logic would have been a little bit better right like go back to his house right yeah yeah like she has a house here somewhere in springwood right mm-hmm. yeah it made perfect i like that i like that concept of doc realizing that tracy spencer and carlos are missing therefore the only van that went out that day was the one that maggie took so i'm finna head to springwood you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. yeah because he's the only one who remembered them and Mm. it would have been a great scene if they would like cut back to the to the um unit or to the youth center and mm-hmm. he'd be like where's tracy and um spencer have you ever seen them like who are you talking about right and that would have clued him in to be like okay something's up let me go ahead and try to you know see where he checked the note see that maggie took john doe somewhere and be like okay cool because i'm pretty sure that she had to like let them know that she took the truck <laughs> you yes. know what i'm saying yeah. so yeah but instead no we go back to the youth shelter and yeah as you said nobody remembers the kids it's a I don't know. It's, again, something that doesn't quite pay off. Like, I don't know why it's important that nobody remembers them, unless it's a commentary on the fact that, hey, this is a system that does not care about kids, and they could literally just be disappeared by Freddy. I think that's what it is. But yeah, that is something that makes no sense. But because they don't dwell too much on it, like, it's literally a, no one remembers them. It's kind of a throwaway thing. (laughs) Also, it's not even necessary to say right <laughs> like like the, the fact that no one remembers them doesn't mean anything unless they were going to be like well maggie's not in trouble because no one remembers them <laughs> right right yeah so this is where we start getting more dreams from maggie she remembers the day that i read it as an insinuation that freddie murders her mother loretta mm-hmm. and that that happened to be the day that she also found his murder basement which is like mm-hmm. I don't want a real life true crime this because there's plenty of women who have been duped by male serial killers who kept trophies around the house and they were like, no, he was a perfectly normal husband. But part of me is like, bitch, you didn't notice his murder basement? <laughs> ah. uh, the, right. Also, like, I don't know if she's dead before she hits the ground, but like the way that she dies is like he like shakes her to death. <laughs> he was very <Yeah>. strong. <laughs> <laughs> i do love though when, when maggie's asking about the, the like oh like why did i know about this and the woman's like oh they have rules about no contact and she's like oh there's been contact <laughs> <laughs> right 
<laughs> and can I mention something right quick? Have you noticed that Maggie was always like when she enters the youth center at the beginning of the movie, she's in a taxi cab and then mm-hmm. as she's walking around like a drunken woman around whatever city they're at, <laughs> there's a taxi cab waiting for her. It's just like, mm-hmm. is this the reason why you probably should not have taken advantage because you probably can't drive for shit? Like, let's just <laughs> be real here. Also, <laughs> like, she's a social worker, right? I am not coming down on social workers, but their pay grade is not that high. Like, she can afford to be taking taxis to Springwood. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, how dare you, sir? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, do we do we even know where the youth shelter is? No, okay. <laughs> it is outside of Springwood. <laughs> right, that's all we know is it's outside of Springwood, uh, conveniently on the outskirts of Springwood. Yes, right. <laughs> well, well, there is another movie. I swear, to God, there's another movie where it's like, oh, a child was given up for adoption, and then it turns out they're like just kind of around the area still, one town over. Yes. Oh my god. What is it? Or like they're in the town. Oh my god. It's on the top of my, tip of my tongue. Like, oh, it's it's fucking Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were gonna say the deep end of the ocean with Michelle Pfeiffer or something oh like god. that. Oh my god. No, that is a good example too. Oh my god, that movie is so sad. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. It is Halloween. <laughs> oh my god. Like, I used to watch Deep Into the Ocean as a kid, like a lot. Like we, that was the one that, for some reason, I also rented a lot because I just loved Michelle Pfeiffer mm. in it. But that is a depressing ass movie. I'm gonna <laughs> say, that so. is not a child friendly movie. Neither one of you should have been watching it. <laughs> hey, you know what? It's got your uh, Dead Rising Treat Williams in it. When when Dead Rising failed, he was like, "Well, might as well do this Michelle Pfeiffer movie." <laughs> oh my God, Dead Rising? Do you mean Deep Rising? Oh my sir? God, Deep Rising. <laughs> <laughs> We're back on the video games. <laughs> yes, but but yes, it, it, it is Halloween. Halloween, because Laurie Strode is just there. <laughs> of course she is. She can't get away. Okay, so yeah, we, we get confirmation in this dream sequence that, of course, Maggie is actually his daughter. There's some fine camera work from Talalay as we get this revelation, and she transitions from, like, little girl to adult Maggie and blah, blah, blah. What what do y'all think of her being dressed up in her child dress with, like, pigtails? It felt like a way to connote, A, visually, like, hey, just in case you missed it, she's the fucking daughter. But also, mm-hmm. <laughs> it felt kind of like, oh, this is a bit of a stunted growth thing. Like, this is a moment that she never really got past, and she's still carrying that trauma around from, like, this moment. That's how I took it. Hmm. Maybe reading into it a bit. I, don't know. <laughs> I just think it's a weird image. I just think it's a weird image. <laughs> it is. I mean, I I always think of like sexy schoolgirl whenever I think see like yeah. adult women dressed up in girls' clothing. Yeah, I didn't yeah. want to go there, but yeah, I was it's like, this, but this is pretty it. though. I needed y'all to say it. <laughs> well, it's especially uncomfortable because we're about to transition into the scene where we see that Tracy's past also reveals yes, sexual assault, right. and you're like, wait, are we doing more well, dirty child touching? Oh, okay, shit. so genuine question because I don't know how I feel about this, and I, so. Again, we've discussed this movie is over the top. It's wacky. It's kind of kooky. It has a very comedic bent to it. Mm-hmm. And then sexual assault of a minor. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, okay, what is Joe going to come up with to say, well, you like this, Trace? And I was like, oh, I guess it's Freeway. Freeway is the <laughs> other movie that <laughs> Freeway has a very comedic bent to it. And it's about sex. It has like a sexual assault component, like pedophilia component to it. But that movie like leans into that. that yeah. Totally. That makes more sense. Yes. Like it, it, it is still upsetting in that movie, but like it fits in with the tone. Whereas with this in particular, I'm kind of like, I mean, I think it's an interesting journey for Tracy. And I like to, I think it's cathartic to get to see her beat up like Freddie as her dad. Right. But it does seem a little bit out of place given the tone of this film. 
Yeah, I'll confess I was okay with it, if only because it did remind me of Dream Warriors. Mm -hmm. And this whole franchise has a history of dealing with pedophilia and child sexual assault. Right. I minded it less here than I did with the Rooney Mara remake where you're just like, oh, maybe he's not guilty. Oh, no, he is guilty. And he (laughs) fucked you as a child. Like, that is disgusting. And that movie, like that movie wants to treat it seriously. And then it just fucking fails the landing so hard that it's unforgivable. Whereas here you're like, oh, well, this is a character with a traumatic backstory. And it, I mean, it's not nuanced, but at least they're treating this character with some respect. Remember in the remake when they find the pictures of Freddy molesting them and there's just like a 15 second scene of them like looking at the pictures? Absolutely despicable. That movie is such fucking garbage. I am so glad I'm in good company with y'all with the <laughs> remake because if you if you talk to me you would know how much I loathe that damn remake. I cannot it's stand awful. it. Yeah. And yeah, oh my god, that's a oh. I think I gave it the same score I gave this movie actually. <laughs> uh, context is important, I guess. No, but 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 for very different reasons. Like yes. I do find more to like about this movie because I don't think it's boring and generic. Whereas I, the biggest crime that remake is for me is boring and generic. My God, snoozy Mara for days. Mm-hmm. Snoozy Mara. Oh, when you start using it, <laughs> <laughs> credit Halloweenies with that. We still have from Halloweenies. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So catharsis. Tracy beats the shit out of Freddy. I do like the fact that she gets out of this dream because she's smart. Uh, her mm-hmm. burning her arm and Doc setting timer alarms is also again homage to the first film. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're up to the climax. Everyone, put on your glasses now, please. So wait, Joe, you mm-hmm. didn't know there was 3D before this moment, or did you did know not. at least? Like, did you nope. do your research before the scene? Oh, no, nope. wow. I just put this bitch on and was like, because <laughs> I've seen it in other films where it's like. And then I put on my glasses that allow me to see all. And here it's like, oh, those are 3D glasses. Oh, no. (laughs) I like the explanation as to why we have to have these glasses. Because it's like, okay, cool. Like, they're just 3D glasses here. But in the dream world, like, they can be whatever you want. Okay, you know what? Cool. Cool. I will buy into that. Fine. Mm -hmm. It's when she comes back out of the dream and she's like, I'm still seeing things like I was in my dream. And I was like, but what? What but, were you? But why? What? <laughs> but why? Like how? But it's like how? And then I was like, the fact that Yafet Kota had to sell that line, it was like, mm. oh wow! Like, yeah, <laughs> he should get an Oscar for that delivery. Yeah. Yes, Yafet Kota is like, uh, I'm going to need a five thousand dollar raise to say this line because this is bullshit. I guess because they were looking like, well, he's the black guy. You have to understand what he's saying. It's like, dude, no, that has to, no, 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 not even the slightest. That yeah. is just the dumbest logic possible. Yeah, you need to give that line to a stupid white person. No. Forgive me if I'm using this term improperly, but is he kind of a variant of the mystical Negro trope? Yes. Yeah, he knows all the answers. He's only there to help the white people. So yeah, yeah. I mean, at least yes. he doesn't die. Yay! Yeah, that that's the that's the takeaway I got from it was at least he didn't die because usually they'll give the um the information and then they killed off. You know, mm-hmm. it was just the fact that it was somebody who was strong as a strong actor as Yafet Kota, who was well known on a lot of stuff in genre mm-hmm. and everything yeah. and other stuff, and it just you know not saying that he devalued himself when he did the role i'm not saying at the least it's just that that line if they had a head sigourney weaver saying it i still think it came off kind of like yeah the line doesn't work it doesn't work 
Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, the character I don't, I don't think was written to be black, but I do think they actually sought him out, and it was something where it was like he agreed to do it, even though it was a smaller part. I think it was just because he wanted to be in a Freddy film, which I kind of love. Mm-hmm. I mean, good for him. I wish the part was a bit more memorable, but I will say, yeah, like as soon as I saw him on screen, I thought, oh, well, this movie just got a little more classy. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I, you know, looking back and seeing him in like alien and then like live and let die and other stuff and i'm like oh well they got yafit Cole, so mm-hmm. got some gravitas to it though but at the same time i was just like i guess he was sitting looking I, do i really have to say this like <laughs> yeah because right. it's just trying to it's just trying to sell the 3d gag is the thing because i'm like i'm not gonna lie i actually try to put on some 3d glass when i was a kid thinking like oh they're gonna they're gonna uh, <laughs> make me do strange things oh God, I, I, I love that <laughs> i love that for you uh if only I was sold, y'all. I'm telling y'all, when I was a kid, I was just like, I loved anything fantastical, and I was just like, oh, I'm here for it. Yeah. Well, it's movie magic, right? You know what, Mark? I'm And Joe, maybe if you have one, share it. But for me, it was Matilda. I would sit in my room all the time and move my hand to try to move something across the room because of Matilda. Aww. <laughs> I don't think Joe's going to share it with <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'm I'm coming up blind. I know I had a bunch of like fun, wild, imaginary things, but now that I'm like on the spot, I can't think of anything. Listeners, if you have a moment like that from a movie as a kid, what was it, and what were you trying to do? Yeah, <laughs> when you try to replicate the magic in real life, and you realize, oh, I'm not in a movie. Damn. <laughs> I, I used to wish I'd be like, please God, please give me powers like Matilda. Like literally, that was me as a kid. Ah. <laughs> That's cute. You're cute, both of you. But I just want to see. I want to see Mark with these three D glasses, like putting him on. Like it's not working. Damn it! Like going to sleep. Just like putting him on while I sleep. Like this is not doing anything for me. Like, <laughs> oh, they're bent up. Oh, look at that. They're bent up and torn because Aww. I flop. I flop and turn when I'm sleeping. Yeah, so. I love it. Uh, so what do we think of this tour through Freddy Krueger's memory lane? Because I will say. As silly as I think the 3D conceit is, and I don't think it's particularly or memorably well executed, I think these scenes are fascinating for what they're trying to do. It mm-hmm. feels a little too late in the game for yep. us to be learning new pieces about Freddy. You know, the fact that he was abused as a child, the fact that he was mocked and taunted, the fact that he was a redhead. What? You know, at first, because this is after which, like, she goes through the clay doorway, but then we get this kind of like ride thing through his brain, right? And then that's when yes. we get the yes, it's the X Men opening credits after we go through uh, the Harry Potter door. Yes, but a missed opportunity with for New Line to not go to Universal Studios and be like, hey, can we make one of those forty rides with this? And then Ooh, you just go and see like a tour of Freddy's right. memories. Yeah, um, because that's what I felt. I was like, oh, if I had my three D glasses on watching this, it would feel like a ride. And mm, so right. much of Universal Studios does the four D where you're like in a stationary yeah. car, but with glasses, and like you just go through it. I was like, oh, that's a cool idea. And Freddy was big enough that they would have built him something like that too. Right. Maybe not this slate, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I think it's fine. But you're right. I I do think it's too late in the film for these types of revelations. Yeah, because we're supposed to be building to the climax. It's not a, hey, did you know this about your antagonist? But um, yeah, okay. So eventually she and oh, we should, of course, note because people get mad if we don't. Alice Cooper plays his dad. Well, let's move on. (laughs) Oh, Well, people yeah, got mad go. at us when we didn't reference every fucking little thing the last time we covered a Friday the 13th. So there you go. Oh, uh, wow. 
actually, no, <laughs> y'all, here, here's the thing. If we, on a film like this, because there are some things about this movie where I'm like, oh, like, everyone knows this. I'm not going to say it. Like, if we don't say something that's, like, obviously very well known on a we film like this. We know it, yes. We know it. We just <laughs> yes. don't feel like we need to repeat it. <laughs> and that's not us trying to be dicks. It's we're respecting the fact that everybody knows it. So yes. you've heard it before. I'm so glad y'all said it because I always tell people when I do reviews on movies on my podcast, like I'm not going to go through all of this because we, I'm sure that you've seen the movie. That's the reason why you're here. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so we're just trying to give y'all credit that you're just as much of a horror fan as we are. Like you're mm-hmm. in yeah. on the joke or you're in the conversation. Yeah. Like, like we, we trust that you have seen never sleep again. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Climax of this film. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah. Maggie pulls Freddy into the real world. He briefly appears as Robert Englund, which I'm sure was a relief for the actor to not have to wear makeup for like two hours. And then he transforms back. We do a bit of a tussle. 3D objects, 3D objects, 3D objects. It's all fine. I don't mind it. It's not great, but I think it's fine. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's... <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Considering that this is meant to be the last film, it's probably underwhelming in that capacity. But as a climax to any Nightmare on Elm Street film, I'm kind of like, yeah, okay. She pulls him into the real world. We do some battle and then we get rid of Freddy. Hey, so there are a couple of things I like. I, I like that he, I mean, I do like the kind of like, oh, he's trying to bring her in, whatever. But again, it goes so fast. Apparently, um, Talalay got sick during the filming of the climax and they couldn't halt production for her. So oh. for a lot of the climax, it actually wasn't her directing it. Oh, wow. That sucks. Yes. And she did come back to finish. Like, once she was fine, she was there. But there were, like, I think it was a week, basically, where she was not filming this this ending. Yikes. The line delivery I do love because like, I, I wish that Lisa Zane got m- to be more badass in this scene. Like, yeah, I don't really feel like she earns this like good final girl placement because she's just I mean, even though in the first movie, you know, we have Tina kind of as our main girl, but she gets killed at the end of the first act and then Nancy takes over. Right. Mm-hmm. Don't you feel like Heather Langkamp as Nancy, like just commands the screen in a way that I don't. And this is not really a dig at Lisa Zane. I don't even know. It may be like the screen, the script for some reason, but like I don't really get that from maggie in this movie i don't really feel like she like has this really strong presence to where i'm like fuck yeah except (laughs) for the for the part when they're holding hands and she goes i remember when you sold hands when i was a kid i didn't like it then either (laughs) she bent his hand over (laughs) yeah 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 it's a fun moment it's probably the most emotive acting that she gets to do in the film because she she's not as exciting as the other final girls but then she's also kind of mopey yeah yeah but also she's an adult i'm like god damn like you're an adult you're not a teen girl like i i guess i just expect more from her as an adult yeah and she seemed like she was constantly complaining the whole entire movie like up until the point where she got up with john doe and she seemed like she was always complaining so that's why i didn't get her plus she has no tie she has ties to the kids but she has no like you don't know what she what she's looking for well this revelation that she is freddy's daughter like to me that is a pretty big revelation for this franchise Mm -hmm. because it comes so late in the film like because we have to spend so much time with john doe and so i I almost don't feel like it's given enough room to breathe which again like some of this work print footage which is about like her and her mother like that's where i'm like and maybe it doesn't work maybe that's why it was cut out but that's where i'm kind of like oh i wish we had more of that i also would like to see more 
time spent with her when she learns it. Like, I feel like it's like, oh, God, that really sucks. This is really shitty. Why didn't you tell me, orphanage lady? <laughs> Straight to, <laughs> oh, well, we got to go kill him, and it has to be just me. Like, yeah. it needs more... It needs, it needs more, more. Yeah. Yeah, but that's basically the end of the movie. Explosion credits from all of the previous six films. Yay! Yeah, she kisses him before he dies. It's kind of fun. And then tells him Happy Father's Day, which was kind of funny. But it wasn't Father's Day! (laughs) (laughs) It's the day she learned he's her father. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, that is Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. And Mark, I want to, like, retroactively apologize. I know I've been, like, picking apart this movie, but I do enjoy things about it. I just just also have a lot of problems with it. But I'm I'm happy that you love it and that it has this special place in your heart from your childhood. I understand wholeheartedly. It's just, you know, some people... Actually, I tell people all the time when they come at me, they're like, oh, well, Freddy's Dead is the worst movie in the franchise. I said, have you not seen the remake? I'm like, because (laughs) I hold Freddy's Dead higher than a remake. I'm sorry. That's just how I I am because I feel like at least this movie had... It it was fresh in its time in terms of like, Mm -hmm. we're trying to end... We're trying to cap this franchise off and it was just like, it wasn't a retread of almost beat by beat the original movie and mm-hmm. everybody seemed like they were having fun doing it and it just seemed like everybody was there contractually obligated to be in the remake so well i mean like i said earlier right this movie is at least doing something like it is right. trying different things that don't always work but it's doing something whereas that remake does just feel like a studio product that's like well push it out so we can make money yeah exactly and I don't want to say though they had to recur it when we recur. They had to um keep the rights because I mean it's new line, but it just seemed like after Freddy versus Jason, this is where y'all decide to go, and I just I was just disappointed. So well, I mean, and the funny thing is too with that remake, like the I remember the marketing was really good. The trailers were so good for Listen, that movie. The trailer was far just like what you said earlier about. This one. Dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The trailer was far better than the actual movie was. Oh, I mean the trailer for this one, it starts like like these bubble sounds, and it's like. As a boy, he was yeah. very evil. He wasn't well-liked. He wasn't loved. And then we get this super cut of really cool footage from this movie. But again, the issue is it, it doesn't convey the tone that the final product is. So I can imagine. I can imagine going to... I mean, I was two when this came out, so I would never have seen it. But like, I can imagine going to season theaters. Let's say even, even if you've never seen any previous entry and you had just seen the trailer for this. This is not the movie that trailer promises. Right. <laughs> so yeah i don't know i find this movie interesting i wouldn't say i like it but i mean i i wouldn't like say fuck you if someone said hey can we watch freddy's dead right it could probably lead to some netflix and chill type stuff who knows you know (laughs) just to sit there and just say you know hey just put this on it's on and then you'd be like oh oh i we didn't we, did we watch that i can't remember you know? <laughs> it really gets you in the mood for some dick apparently <laughs> yeah i'm just saying you know just put it on in the background you just go just do what you got to do but you know but no i i enjoy it as a whole because i'm always about trying to top the continuity of a nightmare on elm street mm-hmm. and that's why i always sit there and say i know people probably be like are you fucking serious you really want to tie freddy's nightmares into this though but i'm like look that's how i sit here and tie everything together but if you know it's an easier answer than multiple theories and whatnot and that yeah don't clash but i guess you could call mine a theory though but i'm just saying like just to answer because it's already on film 
it's part of the franchise in some capacity so just use what you got you know <laughs> yeah. so. it's there it's cemented in stone we're stuck with it forever now <laughs> yeah God. So. so mean joe what about any final thoughts on this film joe you know what? This wasn't as bad as I was led to believe it was going to be. Like the mm-hmm. way that people had reacted to this online, I thought that it was just going to be a flaming pile of shit. And I was amused by a lot of it. There's a lot that left me wanting, but overall, I wasn't unhappy to have seen mm-hmm. it. And uh, I mean, in some ways, I think I would be a little disappointed if this was the end. You know, we've had these conversations where. They say it's the end. It would have been disappointing. But then, of course, we get more. And in that regard, I think it's just a bit of a weird anomaly. And I don't think I'll revisit it regularly. But yeah, I'm glad to have finally checked it off. It's not as bad as this film, but I would argue the the shift in like, oh, we're doing this for the final chapter is similar to that of Saw, the final chapter. Ooh, that is a rough (laughs) one, Trace. (laughs) I think this is a better movie than Saw the Final Chapter, but I would say that the way it handles, like, being the final entry is very similar to that film. Okay. So, anyway, okay. Well, before we announce what we're covering next week, Mark, first of all, thank you for coming on to this with us. This has been a very pleasure. A a very pleasure. Wow. A big, (laughs) happy pleasure. Trace, have you been smoking that pot? You know, just say no. I haven't. It's just Thursday. <laughs> but um, let people know where they can find you on social media, Mark. Um, you can find me at the Anti Critic on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram, Mark Oestis, all one word, and Midnight Social Distortion, all one word. And you can also find me on my podcast, Midnight Social Distortion, which can you know be found on most podcast apps and. I'm on Clubhouse. I don't, are you guys on Clubhouse? No, I am, but I don't use it. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. I understand. Uh, it took me a while to get used to it, but I'm on Clubhouse under MS Distortion. All nice. right. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Horror Queers. Join our Facebook Horror Queers group to hang out with other listeners. Find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered and see our ratings of them. Uh, finally, we've got a YouTube channel, so go check that out to view our Micro Queers minisodes if you want to watch us. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. And if you want even more Horror Queers content, please support the show and us by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. This has been a pretty fun and weird month. Um, we've got a mini-sode on weird horror films, plus episodes on Nia DaCosta's Candyman, James Wan's Malignant, Netflix's brand new Cherry Flavor, and an audio commentary on 30 Days of Night. Mm-hmm. Joe. Awesome. Yes. What are we checking out next week? And it is gonna be a doozy. <laughs> well, it's a bit ironic that we reference David Lynch and Twin Peaks a little bit in this episode mm-hmm. because we are gonna go fully into surreal territory trace. So we're actually getting a jump on another anniversary. We're a couple of weeks early, but we are gonna be talking about <gasps> Mr. Lynch's Mulholland Drive. Ooh. If you've never seen this movie, I would argue it's one of Lynch's most accessible films from a narrative standpoint. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I, it's, it's fantastic. It's a wonderful film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely a high recommend from both of us. Mm-hmm. But until then, on that note, we can cross out Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. <laughs> yes, and cross out horror queers. But before we go, I do just have this really funny donkey joke I want to tell both of you. So, why did the donkey become a truck driver? <laughs>